I've been destroyed by bugs lately. Yeah, I mean, you don't have an inside, you know? I can't sometimes imagine. Sometimes it's not bad, though, but, like, I leave the door open sometimes, and, like, there's not that many mosquitoes here, but there will be that one mosquito that's going to, like, eat you alive all yeah. over your body. It's it like, just somehow is, like, the smartest mosquito on the face of the planet. You're like, exactly. how have you made it through? And also, how have I not died or gotten... Uh, what do they give you? West Nile virus. I don't think or, they give you that here, but... Well, I would hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Hello and welcome back to the Health Unfiltered Podcast. My name is Dr. Rowboat and I am here with one of my favorite hosts, Miss Brookie. How are you doing, Miss Brookie? Hello, I'm doing great. How about that Dr. Rowboat about, entrance? That's, that's just how it is from now on. That's Hell it. Yeah. I've worked. I haven't paid off my student loans. I probably never will, but it's still on the paper, you know? <laughs> so I've got those fine. payments on pause. <laughs> yeah. We have no interest happening. <laughs> Thanks, Uncle Sam. Uh, no, a lot of my stuff was unfortunately private, so that sucks. But uh, but hey, yeah. you can say doctor while you're drowning in yeah, debt. Yeah, so. exactly. Perspective, you know. I could have <laughs> I could have blown a hundred k on something else that was not worthwhile, and instead did that, which is also not worthwhile. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Nicole is not with us today. She has she's busy with client calls because she's crushing it. Um, I think that. Um, well, we released an episode beginning of the year, give ourselves a nice little vacation because we're all going through some like really great changes. Uh, I don't want to speak for Nicole, but I accepted a job with um, a major league baseball team um, and it still allows me to do this stuff and the stuff that I have built up. So that's really exciting. Brooke, I mean, your life has changed a lot. Let's hear about that. I, yeah, I officially moved to Costa Rica. I'm, my visa is still in process, but this is my home for the next 18-ish months unless I do something ridiculous to get kicked out of the country. Well, well maybe. Yeah, no, I might. <laughs> we'll I might. Um, yeah, like I feel like we've all had big life changes. It's not just like, oh, I got a dog. It's like right. we're moving. We're starting new jobs. We're like embarking on careers and becoming doctors. Just you. But you know what I mean? It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Like I we we did have a chance to talk yesterday, all three of us. And uh, yeah, like you moved there. I'm moving up to to Baltimore and, and you know, we're like thinking about buying a house and stuff within the next year or two. And it's just crazy. Life is coming like really, really fast and um, it's exciting. It's exciting. But that's all we had had the pause for a couple of weeks so that we got to reset, get a little more settled and come up with a, a game plan. So but we're back now and we're here to dish up some some truth and some hard truths, I guess. Um, also, the worrying in the back, it's my laptop screaming for life. Um, I think it's time to to let old girl go, but I just don't want to do um, it. You got to get that first Major League Baseball check. Yeah. And then yeah. upgrade, upgrade the old girl. Uh, you would you would think it was, yeah. <laughs> Wish it was a little higher, but, you know, it's all good. It is all good. I'm excited for my position. I know I'll be able to talk about it once I'm kind of more settled in, um, which would be exciting as well. But uh, how do we do this? It's been a while, huh? Well, to start off. I know that you are off in the jungle. Are you drinking anything jungle related? 
Wait, I got to pull it on screen because I love your reactions. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the straight coconut. It's just with a straw coconut. in it. I just, Amazing. Just stick a straw in a coconut. And I have one every day because electrolytes and hydration are key. Yeah. It's summer here. It's like very dry. It's not raining mm. a lot. Very hot. Um, so I always do a coconut a day. It's like That's, the new an apple a day keeps the doctor away. A coconut a day keeps awesome. the doctor away. It's freaking yeah. delicious. Like, you yeah, just I mean, I bet. Like, when we were in Hawaii, we tried to find one on the last day, and all the the vendors were out. And I was like, damn it. Where's my fresh coconut? But it's fine. I had dragon fruit, which was even better. So Yum. who knows? Uh, I myself have a, um, what is this, lemon ginger tea with some honey in it. I just got bored with water, and I'm, you know, it's the work day still. Again, I have to be an adult now, so I can just drink at noon anymore which is pretty sad when i think about it um maybe i'll have that freedom again in the future or something but i'm a high performance male now and i have to be able to to you know have all my wits about me so just tea and and water for me but i'm excited we talked about like having mocktails and fun mocktails and really flavory stuff so i'm hoping that we kind of start to well once i'm moved and settled um I want to have like a cabinet full of things to make fake drinks with for the podcast and then real drinks with for sad days, you know, for sad days. (laughs) I don't think on 73 episodes I've ever seen you drink tea. So I don't I don't normally drink tea. Yeah. I mean, last time or I guess a couple weeks ago or a couple episodes ago, whichever that was, uh, I had like little mocktails. They were really, really just like mules without alcohol in them. But yeah, tea's not really my go-to thing, but I just didn't want to have lemonade, so I was like, yeah, I'll have it's tea. like Nicole's here in spirit. Through I know, tea. right? I did it for for her. I, I should have had that like big butt mug that she had, but <laughs> we I don't get have one, one of those yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. So we do have a question of the week coming from Brooke. I mean, not from Brooke, but it got DM to her. So keep those questions coming. We do read them all. Um, so for Brooke, what do you wish dietetic students learn more about during their education? I know this is something pretty near and dear to your heart as well, because think about like all the learning and stuff growth that you've had over the past, like you've been out of school, what, 40 years now. Um, oh and so God. like thinking about <laughs> thinking <Offended>. about all <laughs> everything you've learned. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I could probably write a dissertation on this but what's whoa, weird about whoa. dietetics <laughs> relax you know not not to say it's easy or anything <laughs> but i really in school we learn a lot about disease states and how to respond to disease states in the hospital setting and we also learn a lot about community nutrition like wick and snap and different programs like that we don't learn about functional nutrition and using food as medicine at all. We don't really learn about just general things like nervous system regulation, hormones, and hormone balance, and how nutrition impacts it. All of that I actually had to learn outside of school. Everything I learned about gut health didn't learn in school. So I wish that we saw more of this like proactive version of healthcare versus this reactive version of healthcare. And I think that's the trend at least I feel like we're moving where people like really care about their health and they don't want to get sick and have to go get like an IV of 
you know, food from a dietitian because they're sick in the hospital. But that's really a lot of what we learn. And we do these calculations, you know, for tube feeds, which is beneficial if that's what you're going to do. But I think the education for dietetic students is really lacking when it comes to a holistic picture of health and being more a preventative based model of how do we help people be super freaking healthy before it becomes a disease state. So that's kind of my my summary of what I wish people <laughs> learned a lot more about in school. Yeah. Yeah. We've had these conversations a lot. Um, I know all three of us, but definitely you and me about how I, I think it's, it's tough, right? Cause you're trying to learn so much in four years, which when you think about like learning the, the scope of any sort of subject, like it's not a long time, right? Cause you can learn pathways. You can learn all the stuff that you learned already and then add on top of that gut health, nutrition, like the other things that food can do. Um, and it's it's just it's it's a lot to ask for like a, a professor from a college and for a student. Right. I mean, think about also how stressed you were as a student already and then be like, OK, here's six more classes that you also have to learn in, in those last two years. And you're like, what the fuck? You know, and so some of it is also probably that like you could learn those and may never use it again but the same could be said for about how you don't work in a hospital setting so you may never you know use that stuff again um but i agree that that's i think that's the direction it's heading in is kind of encompassing more of what like holistic health is um and that's probably because the need is showing itself outside of like insurance like the real world is now being like oh we need to focus on this a little more so more of a need for sure. Yeah. I hope to see it change. I mean, I get why they do it because we have standardized board testing and credentialing. Mm -hmm. So it's like everyone in the whole country receives the same education, goes through the same, jumps through the same hoops so that we can become a registered dietitian. So, I mean, like I get why they do it, but I would like to see our standard level of education that we get revamped because we're still kind of stuck in like this old school my plate model <laughs> like sure you could do yeah. some work for sure yeah yeah i agree with that well something to think about i guess as, if you are the student listening or someone who's thinking about it like start to learn that stuff on your own uh on your downtime and then you come out ahead ahead of everyone else so you know be that person for sure all right, so in today's episode, we're going to talk about the simple but not so simple questions of how do I start balancing how I train, what do I eat, how does that change when I train. Um, we're going to try to unpack all this in this episode so that you can go about training with confidence and fueling yourself with confidence. Um, and I think it's really important because, you know, it's February, right, when this comes out and <laughs> today. Um this is the point where like a lot of people who have set those like new year's resolutions are like it's been four weeks i'm out right we don't push that but if you ever needed some sort of reinforcement of whether things you are doing correct or not um, this is going to be a good episode for that as well it's always good to hear refreshers of like what the basics are things that are consistently shown to work things that we know are pretty right um so that you know you're not just getting lost in the weeds and being like, oh, well, you know, somehow I had a good diet or eating plan or whatever. 
and now I'm not eating butter and now I'm not eating carbs. And it's like, where did I get lost along the way? Um, so I want to kind of unpack all that. Uh, I think when it comes to weight loss is, is how people view fitness first. And then they kind of, as they start to lose weight, are like, oh, there's so many other things that like nutrition and exercise can give me. Um, but it's always the first question is, you know, how does someone know how much to eat? Yeah, there's like a million different methods and math formulas <laughs> to like dial this in to the calorie and like to your macros down to the gram. And for some people, that's appropriate, right? Like I have some special forces athletes who that is what they need and they make a lot of space to do those things in their life. But for most people, that's not realistic, right? Like I, I'm thinking of like the busy new dad who is active and is military, is training all the time, but it's not yeah. realistic for him to like weigh and measure food. Yeah. Um, so that's like the difference in, in how that works. So it kind of just depends on like how how deep into the weeds you want to go. Personally, I'm a huge fan of something that's called the athlete's performance plate, and it works for everyone. Don't have to be like a an athlete. This was actually developed by the olympic committee and i want to say university of boulder or university of colorado i can't remember which one so they've developed this method where it's really just about matching your plates to your training style and by doing this you can yep. actually have like so here i'll give you an example if you have a light training day or a rest day a fourth of your plate is protein a fourth of your plate is carb carbohydrates half of your plate is fruits and veggies so that's going to be less calories, less carbohydrates, right? You don't, because you don't need that many, but as we're training and let's say we have a moderate day that, that needs to change a third protein, a third carbohydrate, a third fruit and veggie. So you're getting more calories, you're getting more calorie dense foods, you're getting more carbohydrates. So I absolutely love this way of approaching how much to eat because it's super simple. This is what I do. This is what I've done for years, right? Like this is my job and I'm not weighing and measuring shit. Like I don't have time for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and most people don't. So I love this method. And also, like, I'll just say the last piece is if it's a heavy training day, you've got two a days, you've got like a really big event, half of your plate needs to be carbohydrates, a fourth protein, a fourth fruit and veggie. So this is like a really simple way to do it. And we always want to have a fat source at the meal as well, which is usually some type of add on in a way we've got, you know, maybe a little olive oil or an avocado or, you know, or some, some good grass fed butter, like whatever your jam is always have a fat source there too. So it helps us create balance and increase our calories and carbohydrates based on training. So this is my absolute favorite method when it comes to like, what should I eat? And generally speaking, I'm a fan of three meals and two ish snacks a day. Like, yeah. um, I, I'll get into snacking later. Like it's not sexy. It's not some weird, like intermittent fasting keto trend. You know, it's like three <laughs> meals a day, dude. Like that's it. Let's do three meals a day. And then we fill gaps with snacks, which I know we'll talk about later more. Yeah. But so that's like my basic general on like the eating, but with someone who was just starting exercise and maybe like where does someone begin with the exercise piece and are there minimums you would give for someone with exercise? Yeah, I, I think that um, it kind of it kind of goes to to well, like first I want to I want to like loop it into what you were saying. And I do that, too. Right. There are Sundays where I don't like today. I will do some like lighter cardio just to kind of get my heart pumping. And but I won't like eat as much just because that they're not like heavy training days and that's just kind of intuitive to me being like oh i 
didn't go wake up at 6 a.m. and, you know, try to kill myself in the gym. And so today, just, I'm just going to eat kind of whenever. Um, and I think that's kind of how you have to look at your training as well. Um, because super importantly, it's like we do have minimums that we believe everyone should be hitting, right? 150 min- minutes per week of moderate intensity exercise or 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic exercise. Now, what does that mean, right? Because I can say like, oh, this was moderate. This was pretty intense. Like within the context of fitness and exercise, we are looking at like heart rates and VO2 maxes. But without getting into the weeds, right? I think most people are pretty familiar with like zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, and zone five, like heart rate training zones. So if you want to do 150 minutes of just moderate intensity work, that's going to be kind of your zone two and zone three. So your heart rate may be at like 115 to 140 for a sustained period of time, depending on your fitness levels, right? You can do that for 150 minutes per week, or you can do something higher, like a zone four, zone five, where it's going to be like maybe 160 plus for much less time. So there's always a trade-off, either intense and short or long uh, and not as intense. Mm-hmm. And those are minimums that we should be hitting weekly. And 150 minutes sounds pretty daunting because it's like, wow, that's like two and a half hours, right? But you have seven days, right? And if you really just have five days, let's say you take two days completely off, that's 20 minutes a day. Like it's it's not a lot really, 24, 25. Yeah. Uh, and how can you do that? It's like, well, let me go have like a walk in between the day um, or like, oh, I have five minutes right now. Let me just do like a quick, quick circuit, whether it's just like a little Tabata, a little hit. There are a lot of ways that you can get like these minimums just by kind of running up and down the stairs and getting your heart rate jacked up. I mean, like, oh man, like I'm breathing heavy. That's, that's something that I probably should be doing a couple times a week. Now, importantly though, you can also get that same stimulus with resistance training. So if you are someone that's like straight up, I don't like cardio and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say it's good for your heart. You should probably try and get some, right? Like it overall makes us better for like our our sexual health, mental health, physical health. Um, But fine, you don't want to do any, then you should structure your resistance training to be more cardio based or at least like some parts of it. So yeah, you're going to have those days when you go in and my only focus is a high effort or, uh, you know, high dynamic day for squats, fine, you do that, you take your three to four minutes between each set, it's not going to be really metabolically stimulating. But then the accessory work where you're like, okay, I still have four to six exercises I'm going to do after this, those I'm going to treat more as cardio. So my rest times are going to be a little lower, my intensity is going to be a little higher, just from like the, the heart rate perspective, right? Um, you may be leaving some volume on the table, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, But at least you're getting like a double stimulus of my heart rate is jacked up and I'm lifting weights. I'm getting like the biggest bang for my buck. Um, And I think that that's something that is very easy to do, right? Because you can kind of spread it out over the week. No one is saying you have to train seven days a week for two hours a day or even three days a week for two hours a day right? We know that if you have maybe just two days, there's people that are weekend warriors, um, that they just like, 
for whatever reason, can only work out Saturdays and Sundays. We're going to try to find a way to make that better. But if how you're starting is just Saturday and Sunday, then do what you need to do on those days and then coast the rest of the, the week or at least use that energy to do life. Because one thing that's super important is that we are f- basing the training around your life and not vice versa. Like you shouldn't be abandoning your work, your friends, your mental health and stuff because you're like, oh, I still have to, I still have to go and exercise. Like short term, that's really great for some people. Long term, uh, most times things don't work out and you end up getting hurt. So it's, you know, a fine balance as well. But if you stick to the core tenets of like minimum 150 to or 75 of intense minutes per week, you lift two to three times per week, whatever that may be when you're starting, do that. It's much better than nothing. And then from there, you've covered the minimums and we can continue to to grow, whatever that may be. What's your opinion on walking as an exercise? Like, do you think that there's still good circulatory benefits just from walking or is it really important to focus on those heart rate zones too? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on the person, right? Like 10 minutes of walking for me is not going to matter. 10 minutes of walking for someone who doesn't leave their house and gets 400 steps a day because they work on their computer, it's going to be a lot because that's going to give you an additional 1,500 to 2,500 steps, which is just more movement, right? Um, I think it's, I mean, it's the easiest thing you can do, right? There's, There's no real barrier unless you live in, we've talked about like, lower socioeconomic places that where there are no sidewalks, there is no safe place to walk. But for a lot of people, the easiest thing to do is to get up and walk for 10 minutes. Now, if you're like, I want to do this for other benefits than just like burning calories, absolutely. You shouldn't be walking to burn calories. You should be doing it because like you mentioned, we have blood circulation that's going to increase blood to the muscles It's going to increase blood to the brain. You're going to be more focused. You're going to get outside. So generally, you're going to get the sun touching you, some vitamin D there. Like we are well aware of all the things that outside does for us. Um, So I will never tell someone like right off the bat that like walking is not exercise. Now, is it very stimulating cardio for most people? No. And that's when you have to either walk for longer distances, right? Because walking is not that intense. So either you're walking for... 30, 60, 90 minutes, or you are kind of walking briskly or maybe even jogging or running for shorter amounts of time. Yeah. That's a good question though. Yeah. So I know that we kind of, well, I I mentioned that like you can sprinkle in, right? Like exercise throughout the day, depending on how, you know, what your situation is. Um, But when it comes to like meals and snacks, right? Like how do we how do we sprinkle in some things that you can like do throughout the day? Yes, huge fan of snacks. I feel like snacks got I demonized snacks. in uh, this like diet culture weird yeah. like trendy thing, but snacks are the best. Whoa. So really, like I I think of this as Amazing. we're looking at someone's day, and the three points of time that I'm always asking about are when do you wake up, when do you work out, when do you go to sleep. Because that's really going to determine how we think about the framework of meals and snacks and how many you would need to support your goals. And 
So I, I like to encourage people to eat within 60 minutes of waking. That's usually when we're trying to get, you know, that 60 minute marker cortisol is at its highest. That's when we're reaching its peak. We should feel energized, alert, awake, focused, ready for the day. And food actually supports that, supports circadian rhythm. So we can use food to kind of support the whole system, which is pretty cool. So having a great balanced breakfast, definitely protein rich will be really important there. And then you're anchoring things from there. Generally speaking, I recommend someone eats every three to four hours to support blood sugar balance and healthy hormones. You know, this will vary a little bit, you know, person to person. And these are just general rules, but, you know, also really supports the nervous system. I think, you know, through the work I do, I've become like um, nervous system is like my thing, like because so many people have nervous system dysregulation and are really stressed in this time. So all of that supports hormones, blood sugar, nervous system huge fan. It also supports training. It supports making sure that we've got what we need. So then you kind of just need to set your, those other times and you want to cut off food. Generally speaking, you know, I recommend three to four hours before bed, but sometimes there's exceptions. I have a client who's got like the fastest metabolism ever who will wake up hungry if we give him that much time. So it's important to have a bedtime (laughs) snack or something. So this is where there's a lot of like benefits of having someone walk through it individually, but Generally speaking, three to four hours before bed, I would cut it off and focus on I'm going to get to sleep. Same thing. It's supporting circadian rhythm. Food is like stimulating in the sense that it triggers our body to be awake. So we want to like separate that, make sure we're not giving ourselves heartburn or indigestion. And so then you have to think about all the time in between. So if you have a really long day, you might need more than one snack because a snack is like our stopgap in between meals. So where I need to get nutrition, it's been three to four hours, I need to support healthy blood sugar regulation. That's where you would stick a snack. And so that'll look different depending on your schedule, really. Yeah, I've been munching on some cheese sticks lately cheese sticks and like an apple every now and then i just love the who doesn't love cheese just eat a cheese stick and it's good to go yeah i think that um you know you made a good point that like there's stop gaps right like you i i sometimes i really hate when you when we think about like humans as machines but like we are right if you are driving all day you eventually need like to stop for gas, right? And so you, those are going to be your big meals. But sometimes you're like, oh, it's not running too well. Let me pull over and check. And oh, I, I may need some more gas. I may need some more oil, whatever. And it's it's good to kind of, like you said, continuously keep you going. Now, I know you said it's also individual, right? Because me, I wake up hungry. I got to eat before I lift something right otherwise i just kind of feel weird and the caffeine smacks me in the face if i don't have anything in Mm -hmm. my system right i'm just like god i am so hyped up for the whole day i get all sorts of fidgety um and it's because like i i metabolize uh caffeine like i'm a high responder to it so if i don't have something in the mornings then i'm just going to be fidgeting all day um and then at night too like i can generally eat something like an hour before I go to sleep and it doesn't affect my sleep or anything. But if I have like a big meal, like we went to a son's game this past week and we got in and out at 11 because it's just kind of how the day happened. And that next morning I was kind of tired, more tired than usual. Don't know if that's because it was late or because I had like a, like a big fattier meal at the end of the day. Um, 
or if it was just because it was in and out, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so that can affect your sleep a little bit. Um, and if you're consistently doing it, right, then that's when it becomes an issue. But by the next day, I was like, oh, this is fine. It's not a, a huge issue. I woke up, I had my poop, and then I was like, I'm ready to roll. Like, I'm my bad, body baby. is, like, very regulated. <laughs> yeah. I lost this, this baby weight that I had uh, on me. Yeah, I never baby, recommend so. like drinking caffeine without food because like talking about like a hormonal roller coaster ride, like always have your caffeine with your breakfast or your yeah. wake up snack or pre-workout snack or whatever that looks like for your schedule for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, can you explain that the cortisol spike a little more? I mean, I think that people are, have and this is kind of getting into the weeds, but they have a bit of an understanding that like cortisol plays some role in stress right uh whether it plays some role or is due to some role like it's kind of debatable but generally you wake up in the morning you have a spike of cortisol and then it's supposed to come back down right if you're not like eating and and doing things regularly how might that be affected it's a really good question yeah, I guess cortisol kind of gets like demonized as like, oh, we don't want cortisol because it's just stress and that's not how it works. Yeah. So <laughs> so we want to have this like, it looks like a mountain peak, but it's really steep on one side in the morning and we want this peak and food helps to support and stimulate that. And then it kind of looks like this slow decline until bedtime. But if you're not eating correctly, if you're under a ton of stress, if you know, it could be mental, physical, emotional, right? Like technically exercise is a stressor. It could be mm -hmm. work. It could be your boss is an asshole. It could be a million things. And you're not eating or you're not fueling properly. That's also a stressor. So we can see the cortisol will actually stay higher. But then what happens is sometimes people do this for a really long period of time and you're not fueling yourself properly and you're not taking care of your body. And then it actually looks flatlined for some people on tests. Mm -hmm. So it kind of depends on like how long have you been engaging in those unhealthy behaviors and patterns. But yeah. the blood sugar dysregulation will impact and has kind of this relationship with cortisol too so like if you're not eating balanced snacks and if you're not eating regularly the body will still release the nutrition you need but it's not going to be as graceful as if you would have just fed sure. yourself so sometimes yeah. it can lead to these highs and lows in blood sugar that will lead to like i'm hangry you know like those kinds of things there's a reason it happens yeah i regardless of how well i eat will just get hangry so you know, I think that's just because I, <laughs> I'm a caveman. I'm a Neanderthal. Like must eat. That's that's really <laughs> that's it. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, I I think that kind of you know I this is this is circling back to what we were talking about earlier about like eating supports your ability to to train right. We've talked about how like minimums are necessary. Um, but the question I think after that is like, okay, I know what my basics of eating are now. I know that I should get like a minimum of, let's say, again, 150, 75 minutes. And I know now that I should be trying to eat three times a day with two snacks and just helping keep my energy levels up and all the stuff we talked about. Great. Now, how many times should I train throughout the week, right? Kind of seems to be like that next question that always comes, especially for people that are like, I'm I'm here, I'm committed, I need to figure out like how to become a healthier, better version of myself. And like I said earlier, this is based and it should be based on your life. 
right? If you are working 80 hours a week, right? Super high stress job, whether you're making, you know, $200,000 or CEO, or you are just working four jobs trying to get through life and you just have all this time that goes into it, how how is any personal trainer or coach going to look at you in the face and say, we all have the same 24 hours. You just got to make time for it. Uh, you, just, you can still train three to five times a week. Like, okay, then what are you going to give up? Time with your kids, socializing, maybe eating, probably sleeping. And, and then what? All you're doing is burning yourself out and contributing more to that, you know, a bunch of other things. But specifically, we talked about the cortisol spike, messing all that up. You mess up your body's ability to regulate blood sugar. You mess up the kind of counterbalance that comes with uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine. And then you just, you you really fuck yourself. There's like no other way to say it. And time passes on. You're like, this is just my life. Like, oh, and it's because I tried to squeeze in five times of training a week and I didn't fix anything else. Um, and it seemed like you were going to, pop in and say something before I can continue. The mic came on. So I'm like, Oh yeah. Well, yeah. well, no, the thing that I want to highlight is it seems like, Oh, I'm just going to cause some blood sugar dysregulation and cortisol dysregulation. But this is what causes disease states. Like mm-hmm. so many of the chronic diseases we have are metabolic based diseases. And it's from repetitively not supporting your body with food, stress, training, like not, like sleep, like I'm not supporting these things, then that's how you end up with diseases. Like, you know, how do we think type two diabetes becomes a thing? It's not because you ate too many carbohydrates. It's because your carbohydrates didn't match what they should have. You haven't had blood sugar balance throughout your life. You probably were too, too stressed and it's caused some hormonal changes. You're probably not training. So it's like this multifaceted thing that like will become a disease state. I just wanted to highlight the importance. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, it's like if you ate 400 grams of carbohydrates a day and did nothing, not saying you're going to get diabetes, but chances are a lot higher. If you're eating 400 grams and you were an ultra marathon runner and you are also lifting two to three times a week, that may not be enough, right? So all Mm -hmm. of these people that look at like numbers being too much, too little, you always have to zoom out and be like, oh, well, is this supporting my training, my lifestyle, whatever, whatever it is that we're, we're trying to focus on. So I love that you, you brought that up, but you know, as you start to think about nutrition and the training, like it all has to support what, what it is you're trying to do. And that's why we talk so much about specificity when it comes to how many times a week you should train, like specificity matters. You only have so many hours through the week. If you only have three hours to train, then that's all you have. Like, we start with that and then we make sure that it's super efficient. Now, everyone has a certain amount of volume that they can recover from. It's maximum recoverable volume. Whether that's 50,000 pounds of weights, 100,000 pounds for someone who's like super, I mean, crazy, right? The stronger you get, the more you can handle things. Um, but also, the more you are sleeping, the more you are eating, the less stress you have in your life, the more you're able to handle. So we always kind of want to look at what kind of volume you are introducing into your life. So if, let's say magic number for you is 50,000. If you stay within 40 to 50,000 pounds of volume and you are training and all is good, 
you will see great adaptations. You'll get muscle growth, you'll get stronger, you won't feel super burned out. There may be some weeks where you have to overshoot this magic 50,000 pound number um, so that you can create more stimulus to create more growth. Fine, makes sense. But if you are training and getting 60, 70, 80,000 pounds of volume throughout the week for weeks on end, at some point, something's going to give out, especially if you are not eating, you are not sleeping, and you're like spending, that's a long time, unless you're very strong, to be in the gym, to accumulate all of that volume, and then be like, man, I, <laughs> I really feel like shit. I'm starting to lose weight. I feel worse. What's going on? And I think that's where a lot of people will be like, oh, this is not for me. I'm not supposed to exercise or I'm not getting what I'm supposed to be getting. And it's because you blew it out of the water. So you have to figure out what that limit is for yourself and then figure out how you can reach that limit with the time that you have. So using that 50,000 pound number again, if you have two days that you can give like two hours of training to, then fine. Give yourself at least 20 to 25,000 pounds of volume on those days and then you'll get to your 50 and that's it but if you had five days right then you can okay I have five days let me split this up so I'm not like crushed one day and then I take two days to recover and then crushed again and it's more so like I'm doing a little bit at a time throughout the week I'm making sure I'm resting so if I'm doing my upper body on Monday I'm not doing it again until it's Thursday or something there's a lot of ways that you can get like super lost in you have to train four to five times a week because there's so many splits you can do there's so many sets and reps but at the end of the day if you are lifting your upper body and your lower body one to two times a week with various sets and you're not crushing yourself then even that simple sentence can change a lot of your life and a lot of your health and I, I didn't even get into specifics, right? It was just that one to two times a week, I'm lifting upper and lower and I'm having fun with it and that's it. And I think that so many people will will start to look at these plans or programs and be like, well, this person used five to six times a week of training and they're huge. It's like, okay, well, they also didn't start that way most likely and if they did, they had some special sports juices, most likely. Mm -hmm. And these people who make a living out of being jacked, beautiful, fed all the time, that's their life. Like, that's not your life. Uh, so you have to be really cognizant about where you're getting your information from, how it can fit into your life. And it's not just you being like, yeah, it's got to be five days a week or I'm SOL, right? So something to think yeah. about. I really love that point. That's why sometimes these are hard topics. Like it seems mm -hmm. like we're going to talk about how you should train and eat, but it's so hard because you can go down so many different rabbit holes of yeah. like, this is what's going to work for this person or this person. But I love the idea of like how you were talking about the minimums, like even just thinking about the minimums as like, this is my minimum effective dose. Uh -huh. So if, if, if this is all I do, I'm getting benefit. And then it's like, okay, well, what makes the most sense for my schedule that I can build yes. in and like build from there and like create something I'm really excited about. So I think that's like a great strategy. Yeah. I mean, from my own personal experience now, like, again, I just took on this job. I know with spring training, it's going to be six weeks of 12 hour days. 
do I have any intention of trying to build mass? Absolutely fucking not. I'm going to drown in stress if I'm like, okay, I got to wake up at 3 a.m. So I make sure I have my two hour lift. Like, no way. It's going to be what can I do right now to help set me up for the time when I have more time. So a walk here and there, some cardio here and there, getting minimum three days instead of my four to five I normally am trying to get. And then dropping volume and just being like, here's my strength stuff. This is for fun. I'm out of here. Because if I crush myself there and then have to work for 12 more hours and then consistently do that, I mean, I'm going to be calling you guys and being like, I'm so sick. Like I'm, I'm physically sick because my body is just not able to handle this. Uh, so yeah, I mean, think about that too, as you think about what your life is like and being like, oh, it is counterproductive for me to try and you know, fit a square peg into a circle hole. Like it just is not going to work. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and kind of going off of that. So people are super busy all the time. Um, I just want to like, I think we're going to get into like, how should I eat depending on the time of the day? I know that I kind of get asked a lot when it comes to training, like when's the best time to train in my experience, in the research I've read, like it doesn't really matter, right? Uh, you can think about sports too. Like, do you think it's like optimal to be playing a high basketball game, like an NBA game at 8 p.m. at night? No, but life is life, whatever. These people get used to it. So much like that, you find a time that works for you and it, and that just kind of builds your, your, your day. For me, I like to wake up, go to the gym because it sets the tone of my day and then I'm rolling. If I don't go like I went, I didn't go today, the rest of my day slows down. I'm like, well, eh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so that's really all I want to say on that is like when it comes to training, when is the best time of day for you? Doesn't matter. Uh, but obviously caveats, you don't want to wake up at 2 a.m. if you can be sleeping just to, just to lift. You also, if you can work out a little earlier don't need to be lifting at 10 or 11 p.m getting to bed at one and then still waking up at like four or five i live that life it does suck regardless of like the gains you get and stuff it just it blows eventually it, it kind of catches up to you um but for the most part when you train is not going to have like this huge effect on whether it's optimal or not but it can take away from important things like most times it's really just sleep. It can take away from sleep. Um, but switching gears to the, nu the nutrition side, like what if I'm training in the morning? How do I construct a meal and snacks so that when I show up at 5 or 6 a.m., I am ready to go and it's going to set me up for the rest of the day? Yeah, I would definitely wake up and have something pretty substantial, right? So if I'm training in the afternoon, I might have something lighter. I might do just like 30 gram of carbohydrate, you know, easy, low fiber carb snack. If I'm getting up in the morning thinking you've been fasting all night, you haven't had anything to eat through the entire night. So I think getting up and having something more like on the 60 gram carb side of things can be helpful. So like a good example in my life is I don't like to train in the morning for a variety of reasons. Everyone's different. 
more power to you if you're that morning person that's energized. But I will do something like two packets of instant oatmeal, brown sugar cinnamon, because it's superior flavor, of course. So like that would be my my go-to in the morning. But in the afternoon, I've had all these meals throughout the day. I don't necessarily need something that that much before I train. So I might just do something light, like some applesauce. You can even do liquid carbs, Gatorade, fruit smoothie, you know, fruit juice, something like that. Um, but this varies. You might wake up and feel fine, but I would absolutely eat something before. I don't recommend training out fasted, and we can give our opinions later on that one too. But um, then essentially the rest of your meals and snacks get structured from there. So you're waking up, you have a pre-workout snack to front end the training. And then afterwards, what I would do, which makes the most sense for most people in a work day, is within an hour or two, have breakfast. Don't yeah. You don't really need a specific post-training snack unless your meal is going to be more than one to two hours out. Then I would say, okay, I would have a snack. Um, and I can talk about specifics when we talk through a different scenario. But in the morning, I would really just roll into, I'm going to have breakfast after my training. So that's how, how I would approach the morning. And then from there, you're just thoughtfully placing your meals within like, and snacks three to four hours and just whatever makes the most sense for like your work schedule. Yeah. What, what's your opinion on, so I know you talked about like earlier we mentioned like you know, when I don't, when I have destroyed caffeine and I don't eat, like, I kind of feel weird for the first couple hours of the day and then hopefully feel better the rest of the day. Um, I know you're not like a huge proponent of pre-workout, right? Uh, I, I think maybe you're more like coffee is fine, but I love me some pre-workout. I think most people who train in the morning, just the second the taste hits my lips, I'm like, I'm awake, right? It's like placebo effect for me. Like I'm ready to go. How or does that change for the people who are like, hey, this is I know that like you're saying I should do something else, but I'm going to have it because I like the feeling. It gets me mentally ready. Like, what can I change to support that? Because I'm not I'm just not going to take it away. Yeah, I and I think that's fine. I to me, I just think a lot of sports supplements are a waste of money if we really look at it. But it's fine if you want to have coffee or pre-workout and that's your your jam, like go for it, right? Like I don't need a fucking $6 latte, but I do that shit. So, you know, whatever <laughs> floats your boat, like totally have it and just make sure you're having food with it. Or else that caffeine will hit you real fast. You'll feel it in your bowels. You'll feel it all over. You'll get shaky. And like no one wants that. It's like not fun. You feel cracked out sometimes on some of those pre-workouts. They're intense. So just make sure you're having it with food for sure. Um, And then I, but I think that that's fine. Generally speaking, a lot of them are harmless. It's just caffeine actually does have, you know, beneficial effects like shown through research. The mm. thing is, that's only when you're using it for training. And most people are like consuming caffeine daily. So you're yeah. not going to see that same benefit that we see in research. That's so I'm kind of like, eh, it's a wash. Yeah. I mean, if you are like someone who is having two pots of coffee a day, you have more issues than, and we can get into that, but <laughs> like you're going to need way more caffeine to feel like that that kick that you would get from a pre-workout or something like that um but yeah without a doubt if you are just like consistently like i'm just more and more tired and then like next thing i know i'm having i have a buddy who has two pots i haven't talked to him in a couple months but he would have two pots a day and then like four caffeine pills and 
by the time it was like what? six or seven, he was like, I just have to have more coffee. He had like three kids back to back to back. He was in a PhD program. He was in a stressful job. Like, I mean, that is like burning. What is it called? Burning the stick at both ends. Like burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, the yeah. candle at both ends. Like he, you know, and he's still bigger and stronger than I am. So I don't know what he's made out of, but apparently it's steel. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with with eating and stuff. And um, I think a lot of people especially that have pre-workout understand that like those pre-workout shits will come and they will come hard and fast, especially <laughs> oh if you don't have food. Um, but you know, we've mentioned the morning and you kind of mentioned like what happens in the afternoon where like you may have a lighter snack, uh, because you've already eaten, but can you get into that a little more? Yeah. So this would honestly be my favorite option if someone's schedule allows to do the afternoon because then we know we're not interfering with sleep at the end of the day and we don't just have to like roll out of bed and start cranking out workouts. But this depends on your schedule. Not everyone is an entrepreneur. Like I get that. You like making their own schedule. <laughs> right. um, but I love this because it gives us more time too to catch up on the hydration and the food. So I would aim to have those balanced performance plates, right? Like we talked about earlier in this episode. If you have one of those three to four hours before training and then just adding a small pre-workout snack ahead of time with 30 to you know, 30 to 60 minutes beforehand to do eight to 12 ounces of water, do this in the morning too. You might need a little bit more water because again, you haven't consumed anything in a while, mm -hmm. uh, but eight to 12 ounces of water and a small snack 30 to 60 minutes before. And so this could be just something light. Generally speaking, we say 30 to 60 grams of carb. This will depend on your metabolism, how well you tolerate food on your stomach, you know, male or female, like a lot of these different things change, but that's the range. And our goal is to look for low fiber carbohydrates that are low in fat and protein as well when we're placing it that close to training because that'll be easier digested and absorbed. So this could be something as simple as like an Eggo freezer waffle, you know, like or you can keep crispy. it. Yeah. Rice Krispie, yeah. like really like whatever it is, those are examples of low fiber carbs that are low in fat and protein generally the good stuff. So um, you can have fun with your pre-workout snack. Like if a Rice Krispie is your thing, go for it. If it's fruit, awesome. Whatever, whatever it is. Um, I would say that um, if you have a longer workout, if you're someone who really is training for 60 plus minutes, then do try to get towards that 60 gram of carb, like get, get closer to that, that high end. And then, you know, you obviously usually, I think hopefully are sweating a little bit. It's healthy for you to sweat. If you're not sweating, that's a sign something's going on with your metabolism, thyroid and detox pathways. And you should probably hit me up and we should fix that. But, um, <laughs> You should also add electrolytes into your hydration plan too, especially if you've got longer workouts. So just think that through. Maybe it is a fresh coconut. Highly recommend. Maybe it's uh, a noon tablet, you know, whatever works for you, but keep that in mind. Every every day at 12, I fly to Costa Rica, get a coconut, and then I'm back. <laughs> like, it has to be super fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, super important to understand so much of this is individual, like, I love having my rest crispy. Again, it's a placebo thing because I wake up, I taste that. I'm like, I'm good to go. Um, but if I'm going to do like a longer ride, especially because I don't really enjoy cardio. And for me, I'm like, oh, it's just monotonous. It's dreary. Like I may want to have something sweeter or something that's like, you know, I, I don't want to demonize food, but something that's a little bit more of like a cheat or sweeter, like a candy, because it's like, oh, this is my my pre-treat of like, okay, you can have this thing, 
and then you have to do that shitty thing you don't want to do. Um, or like I am going to be biking for 45 minutes to an hour and a half, like then, yeah, you need to have that upper end, like you said, strictly for fueling purposes, like for the gym, it's going to play a role for sure. You're going to notice that by the end, you're like, man, I don't really have as much energy as I did when I started, obviously. So now those things you put off at the end, maybe like your bicep curls, tricep extensions, the, the things that are just like accessory work, they don't get as much volume as they can be because you, you've gassed out by then. From a cycling or running perspective, you are dropping watts like it's nobody's business. Like you're like, oh man, I'm like working hard. I know I am. My heart rate is still up. But my averages are much lower because your body knows you're like, okay, like we're running low. And I know that this isn't like a life or death scenario. So I'm just going to slow down whether you want me to or not. And so if you are thinking about like if you're training specifically for a race or for bodybuilding or just powerlifting, whatever it is, you want to give yourself the best chance to reach your goals. And if you are consistently towards the last half or quarter of your workouts, putting in suboptimal effort or like sub efforts, then what does that mean? That like, okay, you've left a lot of gains and whatever on the table because you didn't have that extra half a banana, that extra Rice Krispies, like whatever it was. Um, so yeah, it's important to like look at that for sure. Be like, we need this. <laughs> Otherwise, it makes things a lot harder. Um, I do love that you stated that Training in the afternoon um, doesn't interfere with like the waking up and the sleeping. But what if I have to train at night? How am I going to eat in a way that is going to help my training, but is also maybe not going to affect my sleep, right? Yeah. So it's similar to the afternoon as in like you're anchoring all your meals and snacks to your wake up time and we're kind of just preparing for the workout that comes later. I think what's the key here is... What are you going to do after? And you can do this, you can do a couple different things. So I'm going to talk through some client examples and the way they've done this. So you could make sure that you're having your dinner after, and that would be ideal. But right, like you said, sometimes a really big meal interferes with sleep. We, you know, mm -hmm. generally speaking, we know that based on research and from anecdotal evidence. Gotta love that. So <laughs> uh, if you're, you're not going to have life. a full meal, right? Like if you're not going to have a full meal and it really doesn't work because of your schedule, you have to at least prioritize carbs and protein. A lot mm -hmm. of people think that a whey protein shake does the job. They're like, I had my protein shake. I had my cool shaker bottle. I'm good. Uh, no, you really need <laughs> carbohydrates to help with the repair process. Um, and so that that's the, the key that I think a lot of people are missing. And there's a couple different ways to do this, but I generally found this works best for clients to do a four or three to one ratio of carbs to protein. Some people will say a four to one ratio of carbs and protein. I've just found a three to one tends to work better. So it kind of just depends on the different schools of thought with sports nutrition, uh, which means like if you're going to have 25 grams of protein, you need to have 75 grams of carbohydrate. So that, that would probably be for like a larger male, like I'm giving them um, some general numbers there. So that's a pretty substantial snack. So I would do that and make sure you're definitely having something after. If we're not bookending our workouts, it's like, 
the training matters, but you're not getting the full benefit of what could be. And those little details really start to matter, especially if you're competing and we're talking about seconds and down to the half pound, like those things really, really matter. And they can make an incredible difference. Like it's pretty wild. Like sometimes I just need to get someone's hydration right for their performance to skyrocket. So that's important. And kind of just how I would treat the evening is really if you can't, if it doesn't work out with your schedule to get a full meal after you train, so you can't run that scenario um, like earlier in the day, just make sure afterwards you are getting carbs and protein. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, because I'm I'm thinking of the the person who's listening is like, well, a, a protein shake isn't good enough, right? I think that when people like, and correct me if I'm wrong, within the context that you were talking about. A protein shake where it's just protein and water, right? It's like, okay, like all you really gave yourself was 25 grams of protein. And like, and that's it. Like, okay, maybe some hydration because it's water. But if your protein shake includes fruits, flax seeds, you know, uh, spinach, things that like you aren't really going to taste. Uh, I mean, the fruits you'll taste, but not spinach and the protein. That's still a protein shake, right? But it is more of like a, a meal replacement or something that like... It, it's going to encompass more of what we want and not just like, yeah, I just need it for my muscles. It's like, no, yeah. we need it for, for a lot of other things. So exactly. I just want to make sure that that was cleared up. Yeah. Like zhuzh it up, have like a good, and that would be a really good option at night, especially if, you know, you don't want to go lay down with this full stomach, like have a really thought out good shake. Like I'm team shake. Just don't do the whey protein and water scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I like to have different flavors. I have this like bag. I Frozen fruit tonight. I love frozen fruits. Easy smoothies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like one of the bags is like mango, strawberries, and pineapple. That Ooh. one's always good. And then the strawberry banana is always like a, a go-to as well. So Classic, obviously yeah. if you have fresh fruits, awesome. But I just like frozen fruits. They're way easier to just boom, boom, boom. Protein shake. I'm, I'm good for 20 minutes yeah they're <laughs> cut they're like cut and washed and it's super easy to throw in so i'm team yeah. frozen fruit too absolutely so before we get off i do want to talk about um i don't know i feel like it's it's upsetting because we are consistently hearing about it and i feel like i've had this battle for 10 years and you probably the same amount of time but like why are people still so focused on working out fasted like we we just talked about like the reasons why you you shouldn't do it. Why do people still want to do it? I honestly don't know. I think they think they're going to lose weight quicker and be leaner. I think that that's the myth that's stuck in people's mind. Mm. Yeah. But it's that just makes sense. But it's not no. Again, it's it's also like this short-term thing i used to hang out with a bunch of bodybuilders in college like i I know i made poor decisions don't judge me people and (laughs) they would work out they would like do cardio fasted all the time and it was really because they're trying to just rapidly lose weight and it's a short-term thing but if we zoom out and we're looking at this big picture and we've talked about hormones and metabolism issues and blood sugar dysregulation like why would we do it yeah. Like, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to take out a Maserati for a joyride while it's on empty. Like, yeah. Be the Maserati. You are the Maserati. Like <laughs> put premium fuel in the tank so that you can Absolutely. get the full experience. Right. That's my point of view. Yeah. And we go down to PR city population. You. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think it's um, 
I got into this conversation, uh, well, I guess a couple years back. It was during COVID. So, yeah, it was three years ago. Um, where I had a friend who was working with some some bodybuilding coach, and she was saying that she was working out fasted, and and we had a decent relationship, so I was kind of like, why? You know, I'd like to kind of question why people. And she was mentioning how like, you know, the coach told her it was gonna like increase her ability to utilize insulin, uh, that it was gonna like hypersensitize things, and I was like, look, there's I think a lot of words that you are saying that for sure you don't fully understand and like maybe he doesn't fully understand because why would you you know we talked about how you can leave so much on the table if you are underfed and specific to bodybuilding and people who train fasted because they're trying to lose weight let's say you burn 500 calories whatever that is in an hour because on a stair stepper because you hate yourself miserable right but if you were more fueled then and that's food you're going to eat anyway right like you fine you're at a at a budget of 3000 calories a day that's not going to change but if you are eating before you train and you have the energy to pull out that extra 50 100 150 calories just because you are more focused in your body's able to utilize energy more. How does it not make more sense to do that then? Because you are squeezing more out of the workout. You are for bodybuilding, right? Losing weight quicker for any other sport. You are performing better. Like it doesn't make any sense in my mind. And yeah, you can talk about, uh, biochemical pathways, like all you want, but, are we talking about you being like a cell in a pathway or are we talking about you performing at a high level? And those are two things that I think have really, like you said, like got stuck because it's like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. This research here says this. It's like, we are more than a clump of cells. Right. And and we have these, these main outcomes. So if I want you to win a world series or a PGA tournament or whatever, I'm sorry. I'm not, concerned about what it's doing to you at a cellular level at that moment right i need you to be fed and slept so that that's all good but why am i gonna like limit that so that you can what think you're doing better but you're not like that that stuff gets me heated i i also think it's like a cultural thing where it's like Oh, I, if yeah. I zoom in on this one little thing and I do this one little thing, that's the magic button. And it's like, no, dude, like you can't Amazon Prime being an athlete. Like there's yeah. not one button you push and it yeah. magically appears. Yeah. We did. We did have an episode called You Can't Amazon Prime Health, right? I don't remember what I think we did. Was, I don't remember. Like, yeah, I think it's in the 30s. But uh, yeah, check that out. I hope our views have stayed relatively the same <laughs> since since then um but yeah i thought that this conversation was was needed that it was great um obviously miss nicole but i think it's uh it's getting to that time where people start to kind of get lost in the weeds again and it's a good time to pull them back and be like no like basics are always better once you have those set up then we can continue to then you have permission to go get lost in some more weeds right (laughs) and but then like as long as you're anchored in this um but yeah any final thoughts on stuff that we talked about today I would just say, like, I know it's not sexy, but these foundations are really what's going to 
carry you through with longevity and your health. And um, then you can always add the like fun, trendy things and try new things on top of it. So I think you summed it up perfectly. Yeah. And then to add on top of that, if you are not concerned with like longevity and health and you are like perform now, it is also going to help with that. So you don't necessarily have to give up one to have the other. So yeah, for sure. You get to have both. (laughs) Crazy. huh? You can have it all, just not all at once. Thanks, Oprah. All right. So we are currently accepting clients. Um, I uh, focus in on exercise and performance, especially with uh, professional or high level athletes. Nicole is our non-diet dietitian helping you know your body better so you can feel better through nutrition and lifestyle support. And Brooke and the West Nutrition Co. team specialize in taking a holistic approach, in case you haven't noticed, uh, to solving digestive and hormonal symptoms using specialized lab testing. I know she's also getting deep into some nervous system stuff as well all looped into that um for sure so she knows her stuff absolutely work with her nicole also knows her stuff she knows herself so well that she couldn't be here because she has client calls so (laughs) work with them you know uh follow us at health unfiltered pod on instagram and keep those awesome questions of the week coming in rate us share us leave a review whenever you get your podcasts um and like i said we were on a break it's good to be back we're gonna continue to hopefully roll out our episodes uh twice a month um, and you know, before we end out, Brooke, what would you like to say? Let's get it rolling. Cue that music. Cue that music. It's been too long. All right. Peace out, everyone. Bye, y'all.